Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Of course, we've all been talking about the U.S. and NATO versus Russia, but we all know who the real long-term strategic enemy is. That's China. It's extra large. Because four hours simply isn't enough. This is Armstrong and Getty. Extra large. U.S. Air Force Brigadier General retired Robert Spaulding, former White House National Security Council Senior Director for Strategic Planning, served in senior positions of strategy and diplomacy within the defense and state departments for more than 26 years, is out with a brand new book that could not be more timely, War Without Rules, China's Playbook for Global Domination. Uh, Robert, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. Uh War without rules and without boundaries um, is is China's strategy. We're so interested in this, Jack and I personally. The idea that China views its contest against the United States and the Western world to be an, a whole of society effort. It it really is, and it's a, a different way of thinking about war. You know, I I train to drop bombs from a B two. This is about you know influencing the perceptions, the intentions, the behaviors of a population using the tools that Silicon Valley built to make themselves, you know, fabulously wealthy. So, well, let's just start with the very basic. What is the goal of China? Would they take over the world if they could? Well, I mean, that's a very good question. Their goal is to stay in power, but in order to stay in power, democracies and what they represent, this idea of individual freedom, rule of law, human rights has to go away because they fear if the if the Chinese people ever ever got, you know, these, um, you know, uh, 
principles, then they would overthrow them. And so in order to preserve themselves, protect themselves, think about what we did after World War II. You know, our intention was to remake the world in our image using international institutions. So we used the Marshall Plan. We built the U.N. We rebuilt Japan and Korea. These are the things that we did. And we did it because we wanted to protect ourselves from, you know, regimes like China or the Soviet Union. The Chinese saw this. They watched it. Now, unlike the Soviet Union, they realized that America didn't do this with weapons. They did it with economics. They did it with the supply chain. These are the things that China learned, and they're, they're turning them around and using them now. So when you say, do they want to take over the world? Yes, and they're doing it. And that's in order to protect the Communist Party's position in power. But can they make the same sort of argument that we made? We could make the argument to other countries, look, you adopt our system, your lives are going to be better. You're going to be richer. Your people are going to be happier, et cetera, et cetera. Can China make that argument to the world? Oh, not only can they, they are. And in fact, in emerging market economies, uh, for decades, they have thought that China's model is better because China is actually investing in them. You know, in Africa, for example, China's biggest investment is in low value added manufacturing. So they're actually bringing factories into Africa. And the reason they can do that is because they've already built the roads, the power, the rail, the water. They've created this ability to be industrialized. Then they bring industrialization. Then they bring urbanization all to create a market that's beholden to China. So in much the same way we did the Marshall Plan, China is doing that with the Belt and Road Initiative. So, yes. And the answer is when you look around these countries at the U.N. and you say, who do you look to for who's you know, who do you trust in the economy? Who do you trust to have a, be a better you know, business partner? They're all going to say China. And I heard this at the White House. You know, people would come to us from Korea, from Japan and say, hey, don't force us to choose between you and China. We want to be your security partner, but we want to be China's business partner. If you think about the Soviet Union, it was all about weapons. We were all about business. Since the end of the Cold War, we become all about weapons and let the Chinese take over the business. So a great place to ask this question, because the bulk of your career took place during that period where China was trying to convince the United States and and the Western world that, hey, we're not rivals and we're not enemies. We're not trying to subvert or take over anything. We want to cooperate. We want to liberalize. We want to do business with you, that sort of thing. When, you know, more recent uh, discoveries have made it clear that all along they were playing the... uh, you know, the the innocent neighbor that just wants what's good for you. But indeed, they were plotting, you know, something like world supremacy. Uh, when did you come to the realization that Chinese goals were not quite as benign as they were trying to pass off? Well, you know, I had um, I had lived in China for two years as a young major in the Air Force. Uh, I went to a university in Shanghai called uh, it was Tongji University. It's actually uh, built by the Germans. And I loved it. And I thought it was fantastic. And I really believed that China was a great you know, partner for the U.S. In fact, you know, I remember leaving in 2004 telling my wife, I want to come back and, and do business in China. And it was when I it was in 2014 when I got to the Pentagon and I was working for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And, you know, he had me working on the China problem. And I got this presentation from a friend uh, that had invested in China in New York. And the presentation just showed 
how many of our companies China was going after and attacking. And it reminded me of what I did with B2s and, and, and bombs, you know, they were doing with economics. And it was that point when I began to really recognize that we were in a competition that I didn't, I was never trained to deal with as a military officer. So I know, I assume a lot of your goal is just to wake people up to the, you know, the reality of what China is and what their goals are. It's inevitable, isn't it, that Nike no longer is making their shoes in China and iPhones aren't made in China? Isn't that inevitable? Well, it's not inevitable as long as they think that they can get away with it. And what you see in Washington, D.C. on every single day uh, is U.S. corporations and U.S. financial institutions making the argument to Washington, D.C., that we need to continue to do business with China. And so where people like me that are focused on national security and the erosion of our industrial base, the erosion of our freedoms with this linkage with China and and their corporations with our corporations, you know, on the corporation side, they are incentivized financially to basically feed the Chinese Communist Party line in the Congress and the White House. And so you know, it's not it's counterintuitive, but unfortunately, we don't have a corporate sector or a financial sector that really has national security at heart. They have, you know, their own financial well-being. And that's how China has been able to essentially uh, upend U.S. leadership around the world. Hollywood no longer listens to American values. They listen to Chinese Communist Party values because they're the ones with the wallet. I'd love to hear you expand on something you mentioned briefly, and that's how China's exploited Silicon Valley and American technology um, to do the economic war against us. What do you mean by that? Well, so um, what Silicon Valley created was the ability to take data about you. And this is when the iPhone came out in 2007, 2009, we started building these 4G networks, really created the opportunity for the mobile economy. And that's when, if you go back to that day, 2007, when the iPhone came out and look at the companies that were leading uh, in the United States, AT&T, General Electric, Microsoft, ExxonMobil, Shell, and 10 years later, it's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. And what they did, what Silicon Valley did, was take all that data that was coming off of your device and figure out how to understand your perceptions and intentions and then begin to slowly change those perceptions and intentions to make you a better consumer. And so this tool of using data that's collected about you and then changing your perceptions is exactly the tool that China sought to harness and seeks to harness now through IT. In other words, they get the data from your phone and then they figure out what you like, and then they start to feed you messages. But they're not just about selling you things. It's also about, you know, how do we convince you that your social and political beliefs may not be what you think they are. And so that's what they do for their own population. But what we gave them, what Silicon Valley gave them, is the ability to do that on a global stage. This is unprecedented in warfare. You've never been able to go after the population because you've always had borders and a government that protected the population from outside influence. Now we can go right to the individual. We can begin to erode their faith and confidence in their own governing systems. And you see that happening on a daily basis. So that's essentially when you say, what is war without rules? It's about using the Internet and globalization to undermine the international order and the domestic 
social cohesion of free societies around the world. Speaking of international order, what do you think she and the Communist Party's view is of what Russia is doing in Ukraine? Are they happy about this or is it getting in their way? No, I mean, so uh, Putin came to China to get approval from Xi for the invasion of the Ukraine. Now, all she said is don't do it until the Olympics are over. What she wanted out of that was to watch how we, the West, reacted to Russia. And the reason he wanted that to happen is because he was worried about when he invades Taiwan, he wants to know how we're going to react. So now he's, because we've gone all in on this Russia-Ukraine thing, now China is going through the steps to make sure that everything that we did to the Russians will not be effective when it comes to their invasion of Taiwan. Wow, so they got to run a real-life test simulation of what our reaction would be. And I also noticed you said when they invade Taiwan and not if. Yes, it's happened. It's, she has already said that it's, it's not. he's not going to leave it to the next generation. So what they wanted to make sure is that, you know, anything that we were hiding, hiding in our pockets, you know, the Russians believed, actually believed that they had – you know, prevented themselves from being really, you know, uh, able to be attacked through the international financial system and the global economy. Well, we attacked them, right? And we put them in a box. It's really strangling them. This was news to Putin, but it was also news to Xi. And so the good thing about Xi getting to watch it happen to Putin is now he has the ability to put in place the measures to ensure it won't happen to him. Man, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah, and as long as we're discussing gigantic news stories that have changed many lives, uh, can you talk to us about your point of view on uh, how China handled COVID from the beginning to the present day? Well, um, the so first, let me say that um, I don't know how COVID you know it, you know got into the wild, whether it was in a market in a lab, whether it was intentional, whether it was accidental. But what I can tell you is what the Chinese Communist Party does. And if they're faced with a crisis, they are silent, they watch what's going on, and then they think about how they take advantage of the situation for their benefit. So what they realize is that they could create enormous fear about this virus, and in doing so, you know, really get other nations, other economies to shut down. Well, what did that do? That enabled them to have even further control on the global economy, further control on the global supply chain. So how do we know that they did this? Well, the, the epidemiology model that was used by the West to justify lockdowns came from the Imperial College of London. Now, people don't know that the Imperial College of London has been getting tens of millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party. And in fact, in 2015, Xi Jinping himself visited that school. Then you have the videos coming out of Wuhan. And so what you have is essentially the, once they figured it out, what they were gonna do, they they started to hype the fear. And then bots on social media began to, you know, share that that epidemiology model, began to share those videos. And we created, and even today, that fear still resonates resonates throughout the world. And if you think about unrestricted warfare, what they were trying to do is show, hey, create fear, and then you can begin to take advantage of that fear. 
we adopted policies that had never been part of any pandemic um, you know, plans in the past. Lockdowns were never, never a part of any of the CDC plans or the World Health Organization plans. All of a sudden, within weeks of China implementing lockdowns, the World Health Organization comes out and says, this is fantastic. They've stopped the virus in its tracks. And in fact, today, China still reports that they've only had 4,600 people die Hilarious. of the coronavirus. That's been reported by the media. So this is, the, this is how they use the coronavirus, you know, as an advantageous way to further strengthen their hold over the global economy and global medical health policy. Final question. I know your time is limited. Do you feel like whether it's the American people or in the halls of power, people have woken up that China is not our buddy, is not our benign business partner? Uh, I see it happening every single day. But um, as you know, um, we are a very fickle society. And unfortunately, what you see with and what you've seen over the last two years is we are so willing to give up our freedoms for security today that I would say that the population is unrec- would be unrecognizable to our founding fathers. Right? I, I would agree we with just that. Have lost the lust for liberty. Yeah, and our, and uh, our willingness to give up all kinds of things for cheap crap, <laughs> cheap shoes, cheap underwear, cheap iPhones. Right. Yeah, amen to that. The uh, book is War Without Rules. Uh, go ahead, Robert. No, absolutely. I mean, we would we would easily give up our freedoms or, you know, even sacrifice our own principles if we can get something for cheaper. War Without Rules, China's playbook for global domination. Robert Spaulding. Robert, really enjoyed the chat. I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much. Man, has some interesting stuff about they funded the group that laid out the plans for shutdowns around the world. Oh, yeah. Imperial College of London. I remember those uh, those frameworks being quoted in the media constantly. And then it came out that they're a ridiculous and b the WHO, uh, the CDC, uh, every responsible uh, organization that deals with this sort of thing had rejected the idea of shutdowns for years and years and years. They've been talking about this stuff forever. But then all of a sudden it was the go to. And. The fact that they're running a real-life simulation of what it looks like when the United States and NATO goes to war over a country invading another country is something. They, what's yeah. a focus group? It's like when a TV show puts together a focus group and uh, plays the episode for them to see if people laugh or not. They get to do a focus group on this sort of an invasion and see how the world reacts so they can come up with their strategies to get around the reaction. And uh, the other thing uh, General's involved with that we didn't get a chance to chat with him about is he's the founder and current CEO of a company that I think it's pronounced Semper. Um, but it, it the Semper Micro Data Center ensures access to data anytime, anywhere, even in catastrophic conditions by offering high performance edge computing and diverse secure communications, including 5G, all in a tamper resistant EMP hardened enclosure. And the reason I'm so interested in that is conversations I've had with various people in the military who talk about the first thing you do is disrupt your enemy's communications. And given our dependence on satellite-driven communication systems and the Internet and the rest of it, we, uh, I know DARPA and other, you know, know, parts of the military have been working very hard. I don't know a lot about this for obvious reasons. It's highly classified, but... 
what platform do we use? And when that one goes down, which one do we move to? And then what channel and what frequency? And then what's next? And what's next after that? So we can continue to be in uh, communication. And again, he probably couldn't say a lot about it. But uh, that is a field that I have a feeling is going to be uh, top of mind if the poo ever hits the fan. Wake up. Extra large.